Welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frenino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. Here at Glass Houses, we're not just Billy Joel fans, we're also fans of other podcasts. Since setting up shop in early 2020, we've connected with other podcasters with shows about music. Some of them have had us on as guests, and now we're happy to return the favor. For our second roundtable episode, we're speaking with three podcasters who are also Billy Joel fans. They're Stephanie Myers from Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes, Bob Nebel of Tales from the Corners, and Brian Colburn of Playlist Wars and who recently launched his new podcast, My Weekly Mixtape. Join us as we dig deep, not only into the music and our memories of Billy Joel, but also the craft of podcasting. I've always been fascinated about how other people go through the creative process. So we thought it'd be a lot of fun to sit down with some of our favorite podcasters and content creators that we've gotten to know over the past few years and get to know each other and talk about our Billy stories, but also learn a bit about how they're putting their podcast together. And I tell you, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, the thing about podcasting is there really is zero barrier to entry here. If you can upload something online, you can be a podcaster. Really, that's all it takes. There are some best practices and things like that, but it's not quite formalized yet. So it's a lot of fun to speak with other podcasters and see how they're putting their shows together and what they're doing. Because when you listen to our conversation, you realize all but one of us had a background in doing just this. You know, the rest of us had some sort of background in media, but not podcasting per se, or even broadcasting, at least in front of the mic. And so it was fun to speak with people that are also podcasting, that also have music podcasts, and that also are big fans of Billy Joel. So it was a really nice confluence of everything. I was a listener to these shows long before we connected with them. It's great that we all have a love for music, and that was kind of the connecting point and the through point through all of this. And you can hear the passion in their podcasts as well. Such fascinating stories. And everyone that we talk to has an interesting angle and a totally different, unique angle but all celebrating the arts and the creative and the music. And people say, oh, you know, is there a lot of competition out there in podcasting? Sure, the field is pretty dense with people doing this, but to me, it's a community. And so any opportunity I have to connect with my peers in the podcast space and talk shop and celebrate the music and what we love, I'm all for it. Thanks to the fact that their downloads, you know, there really isn't that sense of competition. You know, nobody's... uh fighting for you to listen to their radio station on your morning drive. You know, you can listen to all of them if you want. So it makes it a lot easier for us all to speak and collaborate. So Mm -hmm. we can get into our conversation here, you know, as teased, there's some Billy Joel talk and there's some podcast talk. And as usual, we did a lot of editing on this. So if you're a person that's interested in the nuts and bolts of podcasting, you can go to our YouTube channel and we're going to put up pretty much the unedited version of that. And you're going to hear a lot that we cut out just because we had a great time, but we got into the weeds with what programs we were using and how we edit and things like that. And and listening back, I was like, I kind of want this to be still mostly Billy centered because I don't want to lose anybody on this. And I thought, you know, once again, just like you can download it anytime. It doesn't cost us anything to leave the director's cut up. Yeah. And we'll also put a direct link in the show notes here so you can check it out at any time. But it, uh, it really expands on the conversation that you're about to hear. And without further ado, here we go. Well, everyone, welcome to our second official roundtable. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Last time we did this was the beginning of 2021. The idea there was it was just a bunch of huge Billy Joel fans. And this time we decided to do something a little different. Uh, We went with a group of people that we know are Billy Joel fans, but are also fellow podcasters. 
we thought it'd be interesting to, you know, see where this intersects for everybody. We all have slightly different relationships with everybody here. So it's fun to have everyone in the same room, albeit virtually, to talk a little Billy and talk a little shop. We'll have fun and see where it goes. Today's guests are Stephanie Myers from Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes. We have Bob Neville from Tales from the Corners and our friend Brian Colburn from a brand new podcast, My Weekly Mixtape and Playlist Wars. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thanks. If everyone wants to tell us uh, just a little bit about your podcast and how you got into podcasting, I'll go clockwise looking at my screen. So, Bob, you're up first. Yeah, thanks. Uh, my my podcast is called Tales from the Corners. It's based on a blog that I had been doing for years here in Peachtree Corners, Georgia, which is about 30 minutes north of Atlanta. And I started this because I was doing a lot of video production, and I did a lot of video production for uh, CNN and CNN Airport Network been with them for many years. And I did a lot of music features uh, on various artists. One of them was Mike Del Judas, did a package on him for CNN Airport Network. And I built a roster of uh, PR contacts. So when Airport Network folded, and there wasn't much of an outlet for any of this, these ideas, I went ahead and started a podcast. And I was saying, hey, you know, I could give you an outlet as to uh, all your clients can speak with me on my own format. And uh, it took off from there. Uh, we did it about three years ago. We started started with that. And I kind of caught the the bug from that. And it went from there. And the second guest was Liberty DeVito. Met him years ago when I was doing some freelance writing. I was featuring him and Mark Rivera from Billy's Band. And uh, it was for a small alternative weekly newspaper called The Sunday Paper. And we just kept in touch ever since. So Liberty was coming out with a book and he became my second guest. And from there, I just built up and all these PR people were writing me and saying, hey, can you get my client on? So we've been doing it ever since. I'm expanding beyond music this year and getting a whole variety of different guests, uh, people who are leaders, creators, uh, writers. Uh, it can run the whole gamut. So I'm, I'm expanding beyond that. But uh, music is definitely my first love. Uh, I really enjoy speaking with these artists about how, you know, what, what's the secret to their sauce. And we just go through that just about every week. Um, I'm coming up on 100 episodes. When I put these together, I really don't do a whole lot of editing. I'm a video editor, producer by day. So I don't want to do more of this in my <laughs> spare time, if I'm, especially if I'm not getting paid. So uh, if I do any editing, uh, I do it for the promos that uh, show up on the different formats like LinkedIn and Instagram, Facebook, all the socials. Uh, so I'll do a little bit there. And then some of the episodes, I'll do a little bit of editing. If I have the time, I'll definitely put fonts on. For Liberty's episode, it is on YouTube. That was probably the most dressed up one and the one I had the most passion for because I had so much material and some people contributed some uh, photographs for me as well. So that was a lot of fun to do. Uh, I would love to get Liberty back again because he's a great interview, as you guys know. It's called TFTC with my name, Bob Neville, and, and you can find that uh, on most uh, platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts and whatnot. And uh, I don't get too caught up in the numbers and that just yet. I'm kind of just doing it for the passion, but uh, they're they're starting to build, starting to get the downloads and uh just basically speak with artists from all over the world. It's this, there's no limit. I really enjoy that. And some people I speak with are behind the scenes type of people like Rob Mounsey. And you guys mentioned him. Uh, he's, uh, he worked on the nylon curtain and uh, did a lot of uh, arrangements on Scandinavian skies. And uh, it was a great discussion. I really enjoyed that. Thanks again. And yeah, congrats on a hundred. First of all, that's a, that's a huge milestone. I know for Jack and I, we had no idea where ours was going to go either. I'm like, are we going to get sick of this and each other in two months? Or, you know, we, <laughs> we you know, we tried to uh, create something that we could sustain early on uh, in the hopes that it was going to do well. And um, you've got the right attitude, you know, doing it for you and your passion. Um, you know, let your audience find you. Yeah, it's a labor of love. Definitely. It's, I'd love to monetize this. I'm 
I'll be interested in doing that more as, as time goes on, but I don't have any plans to, to quit doing this. I really enjoy this. I need this creative outlet because being a video editor producer, it really does help me for, for my daytime work, which is basically with CNN domestic. Uh, I do a lot of work with uh, Wolf Blitzer's show, Jake Tapper's show. I do um, a lot of video work with the uh, producers and reporters. So uh, it, it does help me in my day job. and. They're okay with it. I wish they would actually buy my podcast, but uh, I'm not <laughs> expecting that. But I, I like the roster of podcasters who are affiliated with CNN, like uh, David Axelrod. And I listen to a lot of that stuff. They're a huge inspiration. All right. And uh, Brian, you want to tell us a little about the, your podcast? Well, like Bob, I am a industry veteran. I actually started off in radio 20 something years ago. And podcasting became something for me, I'd say probably around 2002, when the network that I worked for in New York City started posting some of our content to the web. And they didn't call it podcasting back then because there was no iPod. It was called webcasting or webisodes. And it was basically just taking the live radio broadcasts and transitioning them onto the web so people could listen at their leisure. From the network level, I actually went to a nationally syndicated radio program where I was a broadcast operations coordinator for that program for several years. And during that time, probably around 2004, 2005, I got my first iPod and I came home and brought it to my wife and I showed her the iPod and I said, "Hun." I'm going to have her love and hate relationship with this device. And she <laughs> said, why? And I said, well, I'm going to love it because I can have all the music I want in one place all the time, but it's going to put me out of a job. <laughs> and I wasn't exactly correct, but around 2006, I actually made the transition into podcasting full time. And since 2006, I've been podcasting professionally for businesses and organizations and corporate media podcasting for fun on the side since 2017, because when you work with audio and video all day, why not come home and work with audio and video all night? <laughs> so in 2017, my buddy who actually lives in Atlanta right now, him and I started a podcast called Tune Styles, and that ran for a little over three years. And then in 2021 or 2020, I'm, I'm losing ever since COVID, I've lost track of what years happened from 2020 on. So some time in that time, my best friend and I started Playlist Wars and we were just doing that as an excuse to get together and chat because we didn't really find time to hang out and talk music. And that show took off more than I would have ever expected. Unfortunately, family time and having two kids and him having two kids that are much younger than my two kids, we had to go on a hiatus because we just couldn't find the time that synced up for both of us to be able to do the show the way it needed to be done. So what I started doing this year, and it's actually launching this week, Michael and Jack, is a show called My Weekly Mixtape. This is something that is a passion for me, which I think we'll talk about throughout the night, but making mixtapes is something I've been doing for at least three decades, probably four decades now. It's the way I was introduced to music. It was taking cassettes and recording my parents' records to them, listening to the radio and trying to find the song where the DJ didn't talk over it, and really trying to craft pieces of art, if you want to call it that. These were snapshots in time. These were feelings I had based on a relationship I was in. If I wanted to get psyched up for football or a workout tape, or if we're going on a road trip, every tape had a specific meaning to it. And the theme of this show is bringing on somebody else because when I was growing up, a lot of my friends and I would sit down, play our Nintendo, mm -hmm. and talk about what songs we wanted to listen to. And what we would do is we would record the songs onto a tape as we were playing video games. I have boxes and boxes of mixtapes in my basement that I still every now and then drag out and put in just to remember what I was doing back in 1987. This show is kind of a celebration of that because playlisting as much as playlist wars is a show playlisting feels a little less personal because when you sat down to make a mixtape, you were investing time and effort and energy into crafting this personal piece of art. If you want to call it that, because 
you would take you three to four hours to make a 90 minute tape. Whereas <laughs> now I could make a 20 hour playlist in about 30 seconds. There's kind of a detachment with playlists. And I kind of want to go back and celebrate when discussing and really crafting what song's going to come up next meant something. And that's what my weekly mixtape is about. That's fantastic. Uh, and it's so great that you have so many of those cassettes still. I mean, what moments in time each of those are. That just reminded me of like when I used to make mixtapes too. I probably didn't make as many as you did, but it's also just the fact that you have to listen. Well, not have to, but you listen to each song as you're recording it too. So you go through the entire experience while making the mixtape too. Like, you know, you make a playlist, you just put them in a queue. I think that's another dimension to it. There were times as a kid that I would record a song from one cassette to the other, and then I would put the next song on and go, yeah, those two don't work together. And I would actually rewind <laughs> the tape and re record something else. They probably would have sent me to a doctor if I was doing that now. But back in the <laughs> 80s, this was just considered sitting and listening to music. Yeah. Very similarly to a lot how a lot of artists sequenced albums back then as exactly. well. Exactly. Stephanie, uh, similarly, in a way, one of your very good friends have something very unique where you are finding songs that tie into the moments and memories in your friendship. Yeah, loving this mixtape talk. That has uh, been the crux of my life in so many ways. But yes, I am Stephanie Myers. I'm one half of the podcast, Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes. And I co-host that with my friend of 20 years, uh, Stephanie Pena, and representing uh, the full podcast tonight. We uh, met in college and we're both big, long-time music nerds. Uh, by way of background, I'd spent some time doing music journalism and she was in concert production. And we have many, many music memories together over the years and in our friendship. Um, our angle is talking about the stories and memories that we connect with the music. That's kind of our tagline. So we focus on one song per episode. We talk a little bit about the background of that song itself. And then we share the personal stories that we have um, connected to that music, including the band, including the song. And so those are usually shared and joint memories um, that span from our friendship. So we try to make it um, in a way some music slash storytelling hybrid show. And we've had a lot of fun doing it. We started in April, 2021, also in the middle of the pandemic. And it has been a really nice, I think, creative outlet for both of us. We're really enjoying it. And, you know, we'd always been told over the years, uh, you guys have so many stories, like you guys just have so many joint stories. And we realized the podcast was just a great avenue for this. And we had a lot of material and we hope to continue with that. And Hope to make more music memories together so that we can, you know, continue the show and make it interesting. What was your experience in music journalism? So I freelanced for a number of publications, um, music feeds, diffuser. The way that we had tied that on recently was um, I'd interviewed Meatloaf back in the day. Mm. And uh, after his passing, I realized I had the audio, which is essentially my audio notes, you know, from that episode and interviewing him. Yeah. We released that and that was really nice. And as a longtime fan, it was like a cathartic moment for me too to be able to just kind of have something to put out there in the world. I have a couple from a few people I interviewed that uh, every so often you know, you go back and you listen to them again and it's it's nice to have that not only the memento but you know just just to have that raw kind of unfiltered information coming out of them too. Yeah. Especially if you're a totally. big fan. Yeah, you know, it's like it's something special that you have. That's really great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a little treasure trove. I have a feeling a lot of people that interview these people don't have a lot of musical experience and they must be asking really rote questions because they get taken aback for a moment. They're like, oh, oh, we got a live one. Like I can actually yeah. relax and, and talk shop for a minute here. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, it's a fan. <laughs> Someone did their research. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brian, I'm, I'm curious, you you must be one of the first adopters that if you were looking at this back before the uh, the iPod came out, what was it like just everybody wrapping their head around the technology? Was Were there a lot of like learning curves going on as this evolved or was it pretty straightforward? In the beginning, trying to find the proper compression for the MP3s because the 128 MP3, which was, if we want to talk Napster, kind of the de facto format file. As soon as I first heard it, I said, eh, this kind of sounds crappy, but heck, whatever. <laughs> this is this is where it's going. Okay. But with speech, you were able to kind of dump it down. So trying to find the proper format, because back in the early 2000s, a lot of people were still on dial-up, DSL. So people mm -hmm. were not downloading, certainly not 4K video like we are now, but we're talking 
three kilobytes and people would spend three hours at, at home waiting like in three hours this song will be mine you know and yeah. that's something that's a lot different but back then we had to kind of take note of that because if you uploaded this massive file people would never get a chance to hear it the other adoption was the radio industry that i came from wasn't necessarily welcoming podcasting with open arms they were kind of coming at it as a intruder or an enemy. And I went to a radio conference once and I was speaking about the fact that I was veering into more of podcasting. And I was told flat out by somebody who I truly respected in the industry that I was a traitor to the radio industry. <laughs> I was not staying true to the format. And I said, there's no reason why the two can't coexist. And if they don't coexist together, it's going to mean the death of one of them. And we don't want that because not everybody can listen at a specific time. And I think the beauty of podcasting is you're able to get the content you want when it's best for you, because at the end of the day, all we really have is time. And if you're in your car, if you're out for a walk, your favorite radio show might not be on the air at that time. but through the magic of podcasting, you could take that with you wherever you go and listen to it at your leisure, but still support the people that are on the air. So as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned, the two need to coexist because I can't see a world and I don't ever want to see a world where radio is not a part of it. I'm noticing that a lot of terrestrial radio now have podcasting as a regular part of their ecosystem. It's kind of happening here in Atlanta. They're bringing back a station that was called 99X, which it was, you know, geared to the Genesis. You know, that is making a comeback and people are really enjoying that. So these things can really coexist and complement, definitely, if they could cross-promote. So it's a great thing. But back in 06, it wasn't really ready for prime time. That iPod was just the very newest thing. Actually, I remember working on video podcasts. Uh, we did for uh, Robin Mead Show, the uh, headline news back then. It was way ahead of its time. We actually stopped doing that after maybe two or three years. The technology's changed. Now the smartphones are so much better. And now you got Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music. You can easily download this stuff. I'm curious, Stephanie, did you have um, a lot of AV experience before going in? I mean, you said you were, you know, coming from music journalism. It sounds like everybody else was at least doing some sort of editing before they were podcasting. Not really. Um, and that was my learning curve. I do edit the episodes between um, Stephanie Pena and I. And it's kind of been a nice skill set to be able to carry into um, a little bit of my day job. I do digital communications. So being able to say, hey, now I can, I feel comfortable editing audio and then really kind of learning to edit video for our promos too um, has been great. So I just feel like podcasting has helped me in so many different ways that I didn't expect. A lot of the equipment now, it's, it's easy enough to use, but you can't do it unless you put in the hours and if you have to have a project yeah. to do it on or you'll, you'll never do it. You'll never go through that motion. Got to have the project. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of people think because they have an iPhone, they're mm -hmm. skilled video editors because of TikTok and because of yeah. Instagram. And certainly I have seen content creators with zero video experience blowing my mind with some of the stuff they create because at the end of the day, the creative eye is part of what becomes good video or good audio. So it doesn't necessarily mean the equipment, but kind of the thing that I'm always trying to push in the real world is that the equipment, when you know how to use it, could take what you're doing on an iPhone and elevate it. And you could tell the content creators online that are utilizing those tools and ones that aren't. Well, I think that makes a, a great segue because uh, we definitely like getting in the weeds and I, I think we can talk tech <laughs> for the next two hours. But I think this is a good spot speaking about being music nerds. You know, we're all here not only because we're podcasters, but we're also big Billy Joel fans. I'm curious as to hear about uh, when everybody first discovered Billy Joel, what kind of caught them about him, you know, any memories, things like that. So starting with Bob, and I'm sure you've told us, you know, <laughs> off, off the record, but let's put it on now. So um, when did you get into Billy Joel, Bob? I think you probably read one of my emails on one of yeah, your shows. I did. <laughs> Mine goes back to about when I was in fifth grade. The Stranger had just come out and I have an older sister and she's seven years older and she came home with the album one day 
And I kind of knew about him because Just The Way You Are was already out. The single was out. I think she already had the single, but she got the whole album. I was like, what's this all about? When she wasn't around, I kept spinning it and spinning. I was like, I never listened to an album all the way through, but this really caught me just start to finish. And then she got the A track. And that was really cool because we can play that in the car and I can sit there and put, you know, pictures to music. And it was just wonderful. But, you know, in the old Delco A track that actually <laughs> like we cut some songs in half. I think Italian restaurant was cut in half easily. <laughs> part one and then the next track part two. Yeah, it's like, like it interrupted the songs quite a bit. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. So, you know, program one, two, three, four. So that's giving away my edge. And I remember the Saturday Night Live appearance uh, in early 78. Uh, I stayed up late with my sister watching it. And I remember Chevy Chase saying, yeah, this guy's skipping his high school reunion. I was like, this guy's so cool. He, just, he doesn't even have to go to his high school reunion. And he's like, he's made it. And, you know, <laughs> Which is amazing to think how young he was then because it was his 10-year yeah. high school reunion. Yeah, I didn't know there were other, other albums before that until way later, until I was old enough to go to record stores. And I was like, what? I thought I had everything. What? There's something worth it. The Stranger. That, what's this? Uh, oh my gosh, Streetlight Serenade. Piano Man. I didn't know all this. <laughs> I learned that years later. But um, I remember when she came home with 52nd Street. I think she got it the day after she saw him in concert. So she saw him in October of 78 in Toledo, Ohio. Pretty sure that was released the day after that concert uh, that she saw him. I think Centennial Hall in Toledo. Remember getting that album and spinning it when she wasn't around. And I, I love Zanzibar. It was like, that was my introduction to jazz. I was like, this is so cool. I mean, like, you know, a pop artist can do this. It was beyond the singles. Just really been uh, through with him ever since. I remember she brought on Glass Houses, uh, just serious, true rock and roll. And from there, I was really hooked. I didn't see him live until I was about 17. It was uh, Innocent Man Tour, from Piano Man to an Innocent Man. And I was just like completely blown away. My seats were terrible. I joked with Liberty about like, yeah, the first time I saw you, you know, by the time we got to my life, the second song, why does everybody want to get high? I mean, who's getting high to my life? You know, I'm just like, <laughs> what? I can see, you know, Pink Floyd, something like that you're getting high to, but like, really? Then saw him on Stormfront. I remember when Stormfront was released. I was already here in, in Atlanta. And uh, I remember going down to Turtles Records and getting that on CD and thought, wow, is this guy really jumped the shark here? I mean, like, he's not <laughs> using Phil, Phil Ramone. He's like, guy from Foreigners co-producing. What's going on here? Saw him in 1990, around July 4th. Next time I saw him was Face to Face, also in Atlanta. Years later, I met Dave Rosenthal, who was Billy's music director. And he was telling me that they actually rehearsed the first Face to Face tour completely in Atlanta, the, the then Georgia Dome. Just really been into it ever since. And a lot in the orbit. I, I've been very close to uh, Billy Joel's orbit. His second wife had a show on CNN. I used to do what's called mastering it. And I think you guys were curious about this. As an editor mm -hmm. back then, uh, you'd have to take the pieces parts of a show and work with a crew to put it all onto one tape. And she did a show called Living in the 90s. And lasted about six weeks. Uh, Christy was uh, then canceled. And she went on uh, Regis and Kathy Lee and was saying how wrong she was by the executives at CNN that her show was uh, let go after only about maybe six, seven weeks. That was my experience with Christy. But she did have um, Billy on one of the episodes. So I, say, I saved the tapes. I, I don't know if I sent you a still of that. I do have... It's only like five minutes of what they call leads, where they're introducing the packages and the outros mm. and all that. And then wouldn't see him again for a while. I saw him in 07 uh, and had really, really good seats to that show. I finally got to see him really up close. I was like in the seventh row for that show. And oh, nice. uh, that around that time is when I spoke with Mark. I did an interview with him. So I, I probably have the audio somewhere. I wish I could release that. Stephanie, how about you? What are your, I guess, earliest memories of Billy Joel? Yeah, hard to top all those. I'll just say straight up, but uh, I have been a fan since childhood, really. My parents played him a lot, and he's the soundtrack to a lot of my childhood memories in the 80s. And I always just think of the great 80s music videos. I think Uptown Girl was one of the first music videos I remember seeing from anybody at all. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, like somebody's, you know 
didn't have the words uh, then to understand. It's like somebody's doing something different with the medium, but I knew I was seeing something really cool. So he's soundtrack to a lot of my memories. Um, Stormfront is uh, the album that I bought, I think, first with my own money. And I have really distinct memories of going to buy that as a kid and getting really excited and hearing those songs, even in the roller rink. It was such mm -hmm. a big deal. Uh, to be able to hear Billy wherever I went. And, you know, I think too about uh, memories. I connect with the music just like we do on our podcast. But, you know, I think about how moving out, I've played probably every moving day of my life, how that just like seamlessly um, mm -hmm. connects with so many parts of my life. And then New York State of Mind has a special place in my heart, um, having lived in New York for many years um, before moving out here to California. So, um, really cool um, to be able to see him play that too. I've seen him in concert twice um, in 1999 in Houston, which was great. And then in Madison Square Garden um, in 2006 during his residency. So that was... Oh, you got to see one of the 12 Gardens shows. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a fantastic New York memory. Um, you know, and I just think about, uh, you know, Bob, you're talking about how he works a room. And that's what I always think about with him because not everybody can play arenas well, but he knows how to play to the last row. And I really appreciate that about him. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody can do it. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, Billy was actually my first arena show. So like that, that set a high bar because I saw him That's at Nassau, so cool. Nassau Coliseum and uh, I, he was just joking around like he was in a club, you know, yeah. to, to <laughs> total command. Yeah. <laughs> and Billy also started becoming conscious about leveling up to the big venues like that. That's a big part of why Glass Houses sounds like it does. He's like, I want it to be five guys in a room yeah. who play like really stripped down, tight rock and roll. That's going to sound good in a big place. Yep. And that's why he's one of the greats. Brian, how did you come online with Billy? Similar to Stephanie growing up in the 80s, my first memories of music involve pretty much five albums. My parents would take out their vinyl the Cars, self-titled, which is my favorite album of all time. Mm -hmm. Huey Lewis in the News Sports. Pat Benatar, Precious Time. The Muppet Movie soundtrack. And Billy Joel's Glass Houses. Growing up, my parents had an 8-track player in their car. And the first mixtapes I made were actually with my father, who would take the records and record songs from each record onto an 8-track that we would then bring into the car. And a lot wow. of the songs came from those albums and from... Glass Houses. My favorite song from Glass Houses was always sometimes a fantasy to the point that I actually got in trouble at five years old for picking up my parents' phone, putting the needle down on the record and trying to figure out what numbers he was hitting <laughs> at the beginning of the song. And I think I had dialed 474-465-1235 happened to be the numbers that I thought it was as a kid. And to this day, yeah. I still think it is. When I was around nine or 10, my parents went out to their friend's house and brought me along or there was no kids there. It was just me. And it was all my parents and their friends. And I'm just sitting in the living room, just kind of twiddling my thumbs. They lived right down the hill from a Kmart. My dad said, you got your Walkman in the car, right? I said, yeah, he goes, come with me. I'll take you for a ride and I'll get you a cassette. So at least you have some you know, music to listen to. So he brought me down and I got greatest hits volume one and two on cassette. And I started realizing that Billy Joel had other music besides Glass Houses, and I fell in love with all of it. And then as I got older, I kept going to record stores and trying to find cassette and then transition into CDs. I actually would go to some stores that still had vinyl in the late mm -hmm. 80s, early 90s. And that's when I stumbled across this weird looking album with these two Vikings on the cover called Attila. And it said, Billy Joel's earliest recordings. And I'm like, what is this? I love Billy Joel. So I grabbed it, brought it home and said, what is this? This isn't <laughs> Billy Joel. And then, you know, at the time there was no internet to look this stuff up, but it was just this strange album that I own that I was so blown away by kind of the weirdness and psychedelicness of it. And I yeah. followed him for years. I've seen him about 10 times. And I'd say, Stephanie, I probably sat right next to you because I was at one of the 12 garden shows. And very cool. The night I went, this was my fifth time seeing him, and I had always waited for one of my favorite songs to be played, and he never played it. And finally, on this snowy night in New York City, where we slid all the way through the Lincoln Tunnel, trying to get just get parked to get to the show, 
he finally played Captain Jack live. And I mm. honestly believe in my heart of hearts, if you listen to the 12 Garden CD, you hear me screaming, yes, it's happening, as he started playing it, because I was so excited to finally, yeah. finally getting a Captain Jack. I've seen him several times since, hasn't played it since when I was there. Uh, my daughter's godfather and I went in college. We actually told our teacher at the beginning of one of our broadcasting classes, we said, look, the class starts at five, but is there any chance we can cut out at six o'clock? Because they were very strict with leaving class early. What's going mm -hmm. on? We got tickets to see Billy Joel at the IZOD Center, and we don't want to miss this. I don't think it was even called the IZOD Center. It might have been Continental Airlines Arena at the time, back in the late 90s. This was like 99. And he goes, how about this? I love Billy Joel. You're banned from class. Get out. Go. Enjoy the experience. <laughs> One of the most beautiful moments of my life actually happened in December of 2001. I was working in New York City in radio at the time. We're several months out of September 11th, and my buddy, the co-host of Toon Styles, and I worked together at the network in, in New York. And after our shift ended at midnight, we said, dude, there's a karaoke bar down the street. Let's, let's go down and sing a few tunes and relax for an hour before we call it a night. I put in New York State of Mind and I started singing the first line and I literally started crying. I had to stop because it hit me what I what song I picked. In my mind, I was going back to college, but after 9-11, that song just mm, right. hit me and the guy restarted it again. And by the end of the song, everybody in the bar was singing it like together. And it was just this transcendent moment that Billy's yeah. music gave us. And we always talk about that night. That was like the night that New York state of mind, Billy could have been in the room and nobody would have noticed because everybody was just like in this moment. Yeah. Both that song and Miami 2017 took oh. on a whole new life after that. Yeah. The Billy's music is, is always been a special place in my heart. And you know, uh, back in way up uh, in your stories, I was uh, Christmas shopping and uh, my, my daughter has a record player now, so I had to go to a record store. I didn't want to go to because it it's big, but it's expensive, but they had a lot of new stuff. You're not supposed to be shopping for yourself anyway, and I'm dropping like way too much money, like totally paying the idiot tax for not looking around earlier and, and having to pay extra to, to pick it up off the shelves. They had Attila up for sale, 150 bucks. And I'm like, this is like the Stratocaster in Wayne's world. Like, I'm just going to keep <laughs> going back like, you will be mine. Oh, yes, you will be mine. <laughs> I would sometimes put that on for my friends and be like, I'll give you, you know, at the time I didn't have it because I was in like eighth grade high school. I'm like, I'll give you a hundred dollars if you could tell me who this is. But what's wild is like 10 months later was Cold Spring Harbor and that's, she's got away. Everybody loves you now. Like he did a complete 180 within like six months. And then you, you look back to the hassles before that. It was even like, he kind of had some progression before he got to who he was as a songwriter. But I have to believe in my heart of hearts, the beauty in songs like Zanzibar that Bob talked about earlier, I think that came from the fact that he had such a well-rounded musical education in life that he was able to kind of branch out and do these things that were not typical to the, I don't want to call it pop rock as an insult, but at the time, right. Billy Joel mm -hmm. was considered pop rock, not pop yeah. so much, more leaning rock, but he was definitely mm -hmm. considered a pop artist at one point, especially... When right. he was the MTV darling that he was. I have a tape of Attila in, in the car. I bought like an 03 two years ago. I'm like, I'm going for it, man. It had like 60,000 miles. So it had a tape, tape player. So I dug out the tapes. And one of them is Attila. I did the same thing to my cousin. I was like, I guess who this is? And it took him a minute. He's like, oh man, I've heard about this album. So he borrows the van and he listens to it. He goes, you know, I feel like this would go over now. He said, I think back then he would have been just another guy doing like kind of deep purple blues rock freak out kind of stuff. And he, he kind of put the bug in my head a couple of days ago. I got to find a guy that can do it. It's like, I'm so he said, I'm surprised nobody's covered that album now. And like, just put out like a reimagining of it. How beautiful oh, yeah. would it be if he just opens a garden show with something off Attila? Yeah. It just comes How many minds would Woman. be blown? Like it would just be like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Unfortunately, the answer is seven, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and four of them are on here now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He he really has a hard time. Like he's very sensitive to, to audience reaction. So I know he would definitely never entertain it, even though I think it would be great. My daughter's godfather and I, we went to see one of the garden shows on this last 90 something show run. And every time our friends would post on Facebook, they'd be like, look, Joe Elliott came out. 
Brian Johnson came out. Paul mm. McCartney came out. So we're there all night going like, oh, somebody big is going to come out. Like, we can't wait to see who the special guest is. And zero disrespect because they did an amazing rendition of the song, but they brought out Chainsaw and did oh, Highway to Hell, his roadie. Right. Yeah. And I'm yep. like, what? We, we got Chainsaw? So the running <laughs> joke between my daughter's godfather and I for the last seven years has been, we got chainsawed yeah, because if like, we're expecting something like we're expecting right. Paul McCartney, ACDC, yeah. Def Leppard. Well, tonight yeah. I'm bringing out a very special guest. And we're like, and, and, and it's chainsaw. And we're like, who? And I'm like, oh my funny. God. But then when they did highway to hell, I'm like, this guy really nailed it. Like he deserved to be out there. This was awesome. And we mm -hmm. loved it, but it wasn't Paul McCartney. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I felt that way in 2017. I saw him at then SunTrust Field and he said, Oh, we're going to have a special guest. I'm like, finally, you know, I wanted a special guest. Chainsaw comes out. Third time I saw Chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. Does great. But I, I oh, didn't yeah. want Chainsaw that night. Right. I know. That sounds awful. No disrespect. You guys got to get Chainsaw on the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. We yeah. actually, I, I know his wife. I, I think we should definitely try to see if he'll uh, come on one of these days. Um, apparently, we should really hype it up. We should be like, all right, guys, we got it. This is, the, we, the, we, we, we captured the gold ring, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I've, I've seen him do that a few times. And, you know, they would do it because one, the crowd would go crazy, as you guys saw. But it would also give Billy like a five minute vocal rest, which yep, he yep. desperately needed. I think I got Kevin Spacey as the special guest in a show. <laughs> um, I think yeah, he sang New York well. State of Mind with Billy. I saw a Tampa show. We got Highway to Hell, but we got Cliff Williams and Brian Johnson. Very jealous. <laughs> this was actually a different time they did it. This was like 2001, I want to say. I was working with Liberty at the time. And after we were talking, he's like, did you recognize anyone backstage? Like just the band people that I recognize. He's like, oh, well, we got something really cool happening tonight. I was there by myself and I decided to see if I could get away with not going to my seat. Stayed to myself and hung out near the teleprompter operator. Standing there watching the show and I felt somebody, you know, you feel if somebody is kind of coming up behind you, I could feel somebody walking up to me and watching the show, didn't think anything of it. And I looked to my left and it's Brian Johnson standing almost shoulder to shoulder by this time. And he had the, the hat, the whole nine. He's I'm like, Hey, he's like, Hey man, how you doing? You know, his, <laughs> his, his little gruff voice. And, <laughs> and we said hi and nodded and we watched like Allentown. And then uh, he's like, well, good to meet you. And he walked away and then up onto the stage and I was like, oh, this was the guest. Now that's a concert memory. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Did you ever hear uh, Jim Brewer recount when he was the special guest? And he's, oh, yeah. he's just backstage losing it anyway. And then Billy's hyping it up. You know, it's like, we have a very special guest and everybody in the audience is like, oh my God, it's going to be Bono. And Jim's like, they're going to be so disappointed when I walk out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because Jack and I, we saw each other back in August when we went to the screening of the Yankee Stadium movie on Long Island and we were talking with Crystal Talia Farrow. She knows that Liberty and I are friends and she's like, hey, I'm going to see Lib in a couple days. Well, it just so happened that a couple days was a Madison Square Garden show. I was like, are they going to bring him really? out? Should we stay in town? Should we go get I'm like, tickets? Should <laughs> I stay, extend my trip? I'm like, I thought better. I'm like, now nah, I got to get on to Michigan for this work thing and and it turned out the guest was Olivia Rodrigo. It wasn't Liberty. <laughs> Crystal was doing a recording set. Uh, no, she was playing a surprise party. birthday party that week with Liberty. Um, so that's how they were seeing each other. But yeah, I would have kicked myself if I happened to miss the reunion on stage. Can I just go on record saying I really hope it happens at some point? I, I, I hope I speak for everybody when I say that. I, I, I had the good fortune on Playlist Wars. We had Liberty on to do a playlist and album, and we did songs from the attic and the stories he told i know stephanie earlier mentioned meatloaf he talked about recording with meatloaf and what a perfectionist he was in the studio and how meticulous he was and hearing liberty's passion come out in that show as you could see tonight i do love to talk but in that episode i was just like so i picked this song tell us about it like yeah. i didn't want to i didn't want to <laughs> take up any time i just wanted to hear him speak because i was just so blown away concert was for the glass houses 52nd street um mm -hmm. innocent man nylon curtain albums as songs from the attic was to piano man cold spring harbor and street life serenade i really felt like it was the live album that took 
the studio songs and kicked them up a notch for the live show. Basically songs from the attic and concert or whatever the million different versions that you see written out are Mm -hmm. my two favorite Billy Joel albums and they're live, which is really odd because I'm not normally a concert album person, but those two are just prime examples of live albums done just perfection. They, and that's why they always tried to, to keep the records as live as possible because Billy preferred the live setting and he had such a great band. It was like lightning in a bottle back then. Mm-hmm. And they their their live energy was just unmatched. We know that there's more shows from those eras that have been recorded. We're kind of nudging <laughs> them to be like, yeah, there's a market for some of this stuff. Keep keep yeah. digging. Come on. As a oh, video, wow. I really appreciate that and how they're going to go back to those masters and mm-hmm. really remaster those, kind of like what they've done with Beatle albums. I mean, they're going to take right. live from Long Island and really make that spectacular. So. Hopefully, yeah, they could maybe even transfer that to a theatrical release. So you might want to run back yeah. up to Sat Herber one day. Absolutely. And I, I made the uh, recommendation. I'm sure they've got their own decisions made up. But the original Live from Long Island was mixed by Jim Boyer, who mixed all the studio albums. Um, so that's why that one sounds especially good. And he, he did songs in the attic as well. But Brad Lee is a mixing engineer as well. He's the one guy who has... Like as Jack, I think you said, like the rightful heir, you know, he's, he can mix a record like a Jim Boyer record. And we feel like it has, you know, it deserves to be done by somebody who has that touch. So you think they'll do a remix of it? Like they did for the Yankee stadium with an actual audio remix because yeah, they've got, they've got the multi-tracks. Okay, Um, good. You know, it's reels of two inch tape. Definitely will be fascinating to re-release that. Probably a lot of songs that weren't even in. The original special i remember making a big evening out of that when they premiered it mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. it was very if you remember italian restaurant it was like they did like a little staging of it i, I was it was just a much different kind of performance mm-hmm. and yeah definitely it's gonna be very special when they re-release it i'll be curious yeah. if they if this isn't too in the in the weeds but i'll be curious bob if they keep it in the original four three or if they'll try to do some creative yeah. pushing on the original VHS tape to kind of give it the 16 by nine look. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes it, that's uh, hit or okay. miss. If you do it the wrong yeah. way, it could. Right. If it's, if it's shot in four by three, you're going to get those black bars on each side, or you could put mm-hmm. it over itself in right. background. Mm-hmm. Some people say that's very distracting. So they say, Hey, get rid of the wings. Well, what does that mean? Get rid of the yeah. wings. Each side. So you blow it up, but then you're going to miss some of the screen. You're going to miss some objects on the screen. Yeah. So it will be interesting. I've seen it where they could successfully bring it up. And that's probably stuff that's way out of uh, what I own here, but yeah. uh, it could be possible that they can correctly take it up to 16, nine and, yeah. and make it full. I watch so many old movies. I'm so used to seeing the square sometimes that yeah. I'd rather that. I mean, what are we going to get back into like pan and scan from like, you know, the right. late nineties. Oh God, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> that was the worst. Right. Mo- movies made you dizzy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially when you knew the movie well. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 no. That wasn't yep. the camera move. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good spot to pivot. Now that we were talking about the four, three and pan and scan and ed- editing video to go back, talking a little, at a podcast shop. I guess starting with uh, Stephanie, I think we dropped off just talking about you coming into audio and video editing. When you and Stephanie are putting your show together, are you doing a lot of editing or is it mostly live? And if it's live, what's your pre-production like? And can you please tell us, because I'm sick of being up to two in the morning trying to chat my own <laughs> stuttering down to coherence. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We actually... We do quite a bit of editing. Um, we try to keep things as tight as we can. And we always say, too, that part of it is uh, just making sure that we are being um, really interesting to others. I was like, we, do, we don't want to make this sound like a phone call. It's going to be boring. So we try to keep it to about a tight 30. So we smooth a little bit of the narrative. We smooth if we're going off a little bit. And then depending on how ambitious I feel, I try to remove some ums and pauses as best we can, but depends mm. on the bandwidth that I have, uh, especially at the end of a work day, if I'm trying to get things out the door. Um, but we work from notes. We have points that we're going on. It's not 
a script per se, but we do follow an outline, keep ourselves uh, in the areas that we want to talk about. And that has helped us a lot, just getting that, uh, getting that together pre-show. That will help us a lot um, when it comes to the editing that we do. And it's worked out. Folks have actually said, it's like, oh, I appreciate it. There's like a tightness here. I was like, okay, cool. That was intentional. I was like, I'm glad I took out this area where we kind of went on a tangent that just didn't mm-hmm. take us back, you know, <laughs> that type of yeah. thing. It's like, we want to, we want people to stay listening to the episode, please. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how we approached it over the course of these last couple of years. How far ahead of release do you record? Is it pretty close or do you give yourself some lead time? Try to keep a couple weeks just because there's so much unforeseen things that end up happening or in some cases, special episodes that we wanted to do. Um, Vicente Fernandez, when he passed last year too, kind of ended up doing a special episode in the middle of that. Um, so we do try to keep it about two weeks out. We're every other week for now and until we you know, quit our day jobs, I think we're probably going to be every other week for a while. And we're happy with that. We're happy with that. Did you and Stephanie like look up any any techniques or did you did you both kind of teach yourselves what you were doing, you know, how to set it up and, and go at it? We yeah, did a little bit of a, a hybrid of both of those things. We wanted to make sure we were recording just with best practices and approaching that in the right way. Equipment wise, wanted to make sure we were doing industry standard. We're part of the Pantheon Music Podcast Network too. Um, so they had uh, helped us too, just in terms of uh, getting us decent mics, um, making sure we had that, which has been really nice because we are also, um, as I think most co-hosts across the country from each other. Um, so even having, you know, mm-hmm. same equipment makes things, of course, so much easier in editing and all of that. Um, but it's been nice. I've even had, you know, folks come to me to say, hey, can you edit um my podcast if you have time, that type of thing. So I feel like all these skill sets have kind of come together for us and helped in a larger way. So it's been nice. Now, Bob, you've mostly been behind the scenes, right? Is this pretty much your first time being a host? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The only thing I did basically that came close to being on camera uh, with CNN is sometimes I do uh, voice translations. We get stuff from all over the world, got to translate. I've been doing that for ages. I really enjoy getting on and again this is good for producing and learning Mm -hmm. how to do research and coming up with questions and doing conversation and uh, also for my writing i did a lot of uh freelance writing as well and it's funny because you mentioned uh brian mentioned uh huey lewis i interviewed him years ago uh for a newspaper feature i did on him and met him backstage too uh so i I, it's great and it's uh makes me uh, definitely a better producer and researcher and writer. Yeah, Brian, tell us a bit about your production process. My editing depends on how we record. A lot of times with Playlist Wars, we just use Zoom because some of our guests are not professional podcasters. Some of them are just friends of ours. We have more famous guests on the show. We were lucky to have Kevin Baldus of Lit, Rob Felicetti from Bowling for Soup. Obviously, I mentioned Liberty DeVito. To go into a, an app or a recording equipment that's not industry standard, sometimes the guest will, eh, maybe I'm going to cancel. But Zoom, because of the pandemic, became everybody knows it. I personally prefer a little bit better of sound quality because Zoom does the Zoom compression. But at yeah. the end of the day, I've played it for some colleagues of mine and people that I've trusted through decades of people that I look up to. And they said, look, at the end of the day, you're still compressing the final MP3 down. Most people are going to be listening on Bluetooth headphones or across their car over a Bluetooth connection, which is going to compress it even more. Don't stress about Zoom versus a different competitor, so to speak. So for me, my biggest things with editing the shows are, is there good noise cancellation in place? When somebody's not talking, are you hearing the clinking of their glass or Sometimes if people are mic eaters, which I happen to be, I'm always cognizant of making sure I'm not (gasps) into the microphone when I'm not speaking because that makes it a disaster for the person who has to edit my appearance or myself if I'm editing it. But at the same time, I sometimes have to keep myself in check because I am an audio editor. So some things that bother me won't bother 99% of the population. So at that point, I call my wife in and say, does this bother you? And if she just looks at me and goes, 
No. Why? Then I know I'm overthinking it and I got to check my professional brain a little bit and not overthink it. You know, the landscape is littered with podcasts and that's one easy way to click the off button is if the audio isn't happening for whatever reason, you're not going to fight through it just to try and get to something. You want to make sure you've got a good handle on that before (laughs) going further. Yeah. Do you record well in advance as well, or is it pretty close to as you release things? I am very much a well in advance person. I like to have a three to four week buffer if possible. I'm kind of setting myself up for failure because the word weekly is in the show. At the time of this recording, I am currently recording episodes that are launching at the time that this episode launches. So when life happens and family situations arrive and work situations arrive, I got a buffer zone where I can miss two weeks, but still have two weeks to catch back up. So we'll go from everybody doing a whole bunch of editing to the Jack Kerouac of our group, which is Bob Neville, who yes. just, just lays it all out there. And it, <laughs> it works really well. I've been uh, catching up on some of yours. And how is it riding that wave, knowing that you're not going to do a lot of editing and, and getting some good content out of somebody pretty much in one take? Pretty much all in the research and knowing that you've got enough content there and get the people to fluently talk. I don't have a time limit or anything like that. It's just like, let's just do this and let it free flow. Unless I have like huge gaps in there or anything like that, I'll put the episode through. I mean, I'm used to Premiere Pro. So Mm -hmm. that's really, and I can do an audio and a video version of it. So I'm also on YouTube as well. For the most part, if I feel like it's really, really dragging, I'll do some serious editing to it. But most episodes, I could go from start to finish. And I've had really great guests that really keep the flow going. So I don't feel like I need to really take very much out of there. I probably average maybe 35, 45 minutes. Uh, Some go a little bit longer like our episode did. Uh, yeah, we were a little passionate there. <laughs> I love that. You know, some people were like, "Why don't you just chop that in half?" I'm like, "I'm not doing. It. I'm no, no. It's like it's going out as its own episode." So, uh, <laughs> but sometimes I'll get that. Um, I'll get the mojo to do and, and dress it up and promote that a little bit more on YouTube. Uh, I have yeah. played around a little bit with uh, Audition, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. That's that's a mm-hmm. really great program. Uh, if we have some really bad audio. Yeah, so this has been great. And uh, back around, kind of zooming out and talking about our projects in general, what have been some of the highlights of the podcast so far? And uh, what do you have in store for this year? I like kind of when we departed a little bit from our usual format. Um, I really liked the collective Valentine's Day episode we did last year. We invited on some of our fave podcasts, including this one, to tell their stories connected to the music. And folks really seemed to like that. And I loved hearing from people. So that was such a cool uh, community vibe. And I really enjoyed that. And that was definitely a highlight. And then um, folks had told us they really enjoyed our uh, two-parter Elvis episode that we did this past year. We've released that ahead of the movie before it came out. So uh, nobody had seen it. It was not released in theaters yet. So we um, did a little speculation on what we thought we might see. And we were we're pretty dead on. So anyway, folks said they enjoyed that. So that was a real highlight. And I really enjoyed that. As for what we have in store this year, we're excited to have some upcoming 90s focused episodes that we're pretty excited about, including some really great concert stories and fun times that we've had there. I've noticed folks tend to love the 90s as much as we do. So fun to do a little nostalgic look back. And then, you know, since our show is so focused on Stephanie and I's joint memories, we're actively planning on ways this year to create some more music memories with each other so we can share that on the show, including planning some concerts together. We're going to probably go to some festivals, um, you know, music-themed field trip or two um, to help Mm -hmm. inform the show. So excited about that, to get together IRL, as the kids say. How about you, Bob? What have been some highlights for you? And uh, what do you have in store for this year? I had some really nice highlights. Uh, Ben Barnes from Westworld uh, I had on, oh, it seemed like a year and a half ago. So some of these people are like, you know, actors getting into music. I got to speak with a guy named John Coco, does movie trailers. And I got to meet uh, some really, really interesting people through this. Uh, Dinah Manoff, who was on the uh, television show Soap. She wrote a book. 
I have some interesting guests coming up. This is not really music related so much, but he worked in Ukraine and he was talking about the war. So I'm using some of my journalism experience there as a future episode. And a guy named Mr. Hub, who's a rapper. I've had a few rappers on this. Uh, Some of these PR people are coming at me with uh, these very interesting guests. So that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Uh, Mr. Hub is based in uh, New Jersey He does Mm -hmm. rap and a lot of community service. Uh, So it's a little balance of both of those. Plan on a lot more music guests and uh, just expanding beyond that and having a whole wide variety of people who've uh, been from all walks of life. So Brian, reaching through your long and storied career in broadcasting and podcasting, what are some highlights from your podcasting? And tell us a little more about the show that's launching uh, the week that we're recording this. The week that this show gets released, my new show is going to be available. It's called My Weekly Mixtape. And I'm hoping Mm -hmm. to keep this one running for a long time. This is the first show that I'm doing by myself as the sole host. I'm going to have a guest on each week. And like I said, we are going to craft a mixtape each week based on a topic theme, band, or genre. And what we're going to do is craft it like I did when I was a kid. The guest will choose a song and then I will look at that song and say, what would I follow that song up with? And we'll each Mm -hmm. bring a bank of songs that we feel we want to talk about, but it's going to be very spontaneous. We're going to build it on the fly and discuss our reasonings between why we're following up a song with the pick that we're going to make and why we hope they'll follow it up with something else and kind of try to coerce each other into picking songs that we like to try to build something that would be a conversation. Basically, each episode is going to be a musical conversation between myself and the guest and the mixtape will play out as how our music kind of bounces off each other. And honestly, the reason for me that I do podcasting is to have conversations with people. So it has been an absolute honor to talk with you, Michael, Jack, Stephanie, Bob, I think you guys all have incredible products and I am very thankful to be able to share this space with you all and have these conversations with you. It means the world to me because anybody who knows me for more than 10 seconds knows that I'm always going to try to spin the conversation to music and to have four other people willing to sit and have this conversation with me tonight. It, it makes my heart happy. So thank you guys for what you do. And I appreciate all your shows and thank you so much for keeping this conversation going in podcasting because uh, I'm just honored to be a part of this circle with you guys. Well, thank you, Brian, so much for coming on. And to Stephanie and Bob, I feel like that's a, that's a good place to end it right there. Thank you all so much for coming on. It's a lot of fun, you know, actually speaking with other people doing the same thing and seeing where we're the same, seeing who's doing what differently and, and just getting to collaborate, you know. Podcasting is great and we're all having conversations, but you know, we all end up on our little silos. So it's, it's great to, to speak with new people and just have that interaction. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, as you know, someone who is a music fan like you all, I've always been someone who loves peering behind the glass and seeing how the sausage is made and how the magic comes together. So to have some of our favorite podcast hosts on with us to learn about your craft and how you guys put your shows together. It's a real treat to get an inside look at your processes. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great talking with all of you. It's been wonderful. Thank you. It's been fantastic. Bob, Stephanie, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us one evening. Uh, We had a great conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it too. Seemed like you did. Uh, We'll leave information about everyone's podcasts in the show notes, of course, and we highly encourage you to check them out. They're all great and they're all very different too. That's what really makes it fun. And so we'll kick it back to you. Check out some of their episodes. Let us know what you think of them. And also uh, let us know what you thought of this episode. You know, with the exception of our own playlist episodes, this is the most non-Billy centric one we've done so far. Curious to know if this resonated with people just hearing about the behind the scenes stuff of uh, home recording and editing and uh, putting together these shows. Let us know. Glasshousespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I swear one day we'll be on TikTok, but we're not quite there yet. One thing you can do for us and actually all the podcasts 
that we've had on today just takes a couple minutes of your time. Leave a five-star rating or a positive review on Apple Podcasts or really wherever you get your podcasts. It uh, just takes a, a second, like I said, and it really goes a long way to help put us in front of more eyeballs and earbuds. And it's a great way to help grow the podcast community and your help is more than appreciated. And again, we want to thank all of our guests. Please go check out their great podcasts. Again, we had Bob Neville from Tales from the Corners. We had Brian Colburn from Playlist Wars and his brand new podcast, My Weekly Mixtape. And then Stephanie Myers from Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes. Great folks with some great content. We think you'll love everything they're doing. We're definitely fans, so we uh, hope to turn some of y'all on to what they're doing. So please check them out. Give them some love as well. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you soon, everyone. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.